0: So, let's talk about music. My name is Sergio Pereira and I'm a composer and pianist of the Classical Persuasion and with me today is uh Steve Rothstein, uh a composer and um and we're going to be talking about his work, um this Sinfonia Juda- Symphony, Sinfoni- how do you call it? Judaica Symphony.
1: Uh, yeah, the, the title is Symphony Number no. 1. It's my first uh-huh. symphony, right. and Deica, Days of Awe, which is um, implying that it's based on the High Holy Days.
0: All right. So that's what we have for you today. Um, I always start the podcast with one question. Uh, how do you get to be a composer?
1: <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, that's uh, that's, <laughs> a, that's a loaded question. I'm sure you have stumped many of your guests with that question um you know it's a crazy journey i think for for all of us that that end up going into the arts in general um, because there's so much persuasion not to do it there are other easier ways to make a living and uh have an easier life but as they often say you know uh the arts choose you you don't choose it so you know i I really don't know how to answer that, except to to say I kind of answered what I felt was a calling since I was very young. I was very fortunate to have uh, my parents were huge music enthusiasts and in a wide variety of music uh and especially classical, so some of my earliest memories were were going to classical concerts and and hearing great works, even at a very, very you know four or five years old, maybe even younger. And for some reason, I just got the bug. I heard the music and I, I just like was electrified and I know I needed to follow that. Where does that come from? I, I don't know. So how does one become a composer? There was something even at a very young age before I had, you know, it, it took piano lessons or com- thought about composing something. It was more than a, than a hobby that drew me into music. It was something, uh, that, that, uh, was a very compelling feeling to move towards music and then I started hearing I started hearing music in my head again before I had that piano before I took lessons and to me how does one become a composer I I followed that I, I, I had to I simply had to write down what was in my head and my poor piano teachers in my early days I would not practice very much and come and say, you know, what did I, what did I do? I composed this thing. I didn't know how to notate. And that's how it began. I mean, it was just, I would show up to my piano lesson saying, you know, what did I do? I don't know what I did, but I heard this. And um, my teachers were very kind and, you know, you really should be studying composition. And, you know, um, uh, I spend more time doing that than composing and, and it, it really never stopped. It's just sort of like, I had to, I had to follow that. There was something, it was, I guess we all make a decision. Is it, is it more than a hobby at some point? You know, could I do other things? I did toy around with considering other things, but it, to me, it was very easy. I just followed where my heart was and my heart always said, follow music. So it was, I, you know, I don't know where that comes from. I don't know if you're born with that or you learn it or, you know, I don't know.
0: You know, it's, it's fantastic to hear everybody's story because believe it or not, some people are like you and some people are not you know yeah. yours was there from the early beginning for me in my case for example i started composing a lot later in life so it's that's why i'm always fascinated by the stories it's and it's never the same even even if you think everybody's like that that's not how it is so that's why i always ask that question yeah so, that's you know did you just follow academically from from high school and went straight to uh, music in in college and stuff and continued like that.
1: Well, it, no, not exactly. My my path did get a little bit uh, bizarre in 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 its trajectory. So, you know, I I you know, if you go by what some some people have said that I've heard. Some composers say some teachers, you know if you start too late, you know don 't do it. Oh. Um, I would have been in that category because i didn't I wanted a piano I wanted piano lessons before we even had a piano, and I was you know maybe eleven or twelve years old, and we didn 't have a piano, and I kept begging and you know we didn 't have a lot of money, but we were able to work out um, thank goodness my 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 grandfather had a piano, and he 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 gave us our his piano. Um, but by some people's standards, I would have started already way too late at 11, 12 years, 12 years old. I heard melodies and I was doing things, but I really didn't start serious music studies until, you know, uh, until I was in my teens. And then I kind of got, you know, I was leaning more towards like Broadway type of music, even though I love classical. Um, and then when I started college here in Los Angeles, um, Mm. I really got into the classical aspect, but I I felt that I had started that maybe I did start too late because I was in theory classes and ear training. And I was so ill prepared because even though I was active in, in, in music, in my teen years, it wasn't um, the serious endeavor that uh, prepared me enough. So I was really shaken. And I thought, even though this was my calling, maybe I, maybe I did start too late. I convinced myself of that. And so I, I stepped aside from music and I I I it was actually during that time that I I became more Jewishly involved because I'd been pretty secular uh in my life. And it was actually Judaism that brought me back to music. And um the more I got interested in, in Judaism, the more I got interested in in composing Judaic music. And you know, by my mid-twenties, um, I decided to stop what I was doing and go back to school and fully, fully um, follow uh, uh, you know a music path, and I've I haven't looked back since then.
0: That's great. I I mean I I've had a composer here that studied geology. You know, I mean it's very interesting the path. My friend uh, Frank J. Terry in New York. I don't know if you know him. No, he's, a voice in contemporary music, and he told me, you know, there is no path to be an artist. No. Nobody has found a path. You do this and this and this and this, and you will have a successful career. I, I've nobody knows. It's it's really an interesting field because you want to be an attorney, you go, you do your four years, then you do your three years, then you pass your bar, then you, you know, it's all set up but uh, for our career for the for the arts it doesn't work that way
1: yeah no absolutely absolutely and it's it's one of self discovery and one of self realization i mean you could study all you want you you have to fulfill it yourself i guess it's that way with a lot of things in life i guess ultimately but certainly true um with with the arts and with with music um uh because how do you measure you know when you want to compose something um, you, you know, how, how, do you measure it? I mean, I teach composition and, and I try to be very open to my students. They, they might be doing something I don't understand, but, but I'm trying to help them develop their own intuitive sense. And how do you measure that? So it, there's no real strong metric. If someone is doing something off the beaten path, it, it might be genius, but if it's not been done before, you know, it's, um, it, it's a struggle. And so there is no one path to do it. I, I agree hundred percent yes well hopefully that's uh, encouraging but also a little a little scary for people entering entering this world
0: yeah yeah there is it's a little scary but if you have to do it then you do it because there is no other choice there's no other exactly yeah and uh you take it the way it comes anyway uh it's very interesting now i I had a chance to be listening to your music the last few days. Um, yeah, It's very interesting that the, the pieces, uh, you know, it, it brings back memories because it's all, it's a lot of them. I don't, I didn't recognize all the melodies I'm Jewish myself. So I didn't recognize all of them, but a lot of them I did, you know, because it's the, based on the melodies of the high holidays of, uh, Yom Kippur of Rosh Hashanah. And, um, and the language, I the, the thing I liked a lot about the, it has four movements, right? Can you tell us a little bit about how the, this work got, got
1: made before I go on? Sure, absolutely. Um, how did it come about and, and yeah. a little bit of the story of the work? So my first symphony, the Symphony Judaica, Days of Awe, is a, a four movement symphony And it was a commission. It was uh, commissioned by uh, a wonderful man, Dr. Robert H. Freilich, who's a L.A. resident here. And um, he's a semi-retired lawyer and not a musician himself, but grew up having a great love of uh, Judaism and classical music and always wanted to create a foundation uh, that would... uh, Help commission composers create more Judaic classical music, um, specifically on the classical side. So, lucky for me, you know, kind of just like fate, our paths crossed, and um, I received the commission from him through this foundation. The foundation is called the Judaic Sacred Music Foundation, where I, I currently serve as the artistic director. And um, we've commissioned many, many works over the past few years. Um, not all of them big symphonies, but a lot, a lot of works, especially smaller works during the pandemic, and we're continuing to do so. But this was our inaugural, the foundation's inaugural commission, and um, and I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, I you know I've gone to to synagogue all my life, and I don't think I I don't even remember I've ever missed a Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur service before. Um, grew up. Uh, Ashkenazi, and so really, you know, new melodies and ideas. But as soon as you start writing a symphony, you know, the, 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 the prayers and melodies, they don't need a symphony, they're in the service. So, right. what am I doing? And I didn't want the symphony to be a medley. So, I really told Dr. Freilich, like I said, I, I really need to study, like, like serious study, uh, so I can make the associations and have the meaning. Um, between melodies and motives and make the connections i really want that all movements to be a rich tapestry of of development of these ideas and i wanted it to work on many levels Um, and that takes time to figure out especially because i there's so much i didn't know and i started studying with rabbis and cantors and cataloging melodies i mean hundreds and hundreds of you know uh catalogs of you know circling melodies and motives and making connections and it just it was a very intense process and what I what I was aiming to do was to make the symphony work on many different levels so that one if if uh if one is not Jewish they just hear music and you're able to follow the emotional arc of the piece you don't really need an explanation um like you might not understand um you know, everything in Verdi's Requiem, all the all the things from, from, from the mass, uh, what's being said, but you could feel the emotion of it. So I, it was very important to me that it, it bringing this work to a larger public, even outside the Jewish community. But then if you are semi-Jewishly involved, you might recognize some melodies, not all of them. And then the more... Uh, you know for like clergy I've played the piece for orthodox cantors or, or rabbis and and they hear much more detail and they get much more of the layers so I really tried to and that was a very hard thing to do yet make it also accessible it's a very uh, it's a very total piece my language has always been very tonal um, and um, uh, i I really have no problem with that it's a little um you know old fashioned let's say let's say that i'm I'm aware of that but i it's a language that I feel comfortable and I felt that these melodies worked well in kind of this late romantic late 19th century romantic sound there's a very chromatic piece um uh yeah, you, could, very, you could feel the dissonances in the right places Ah, well thank you yeah so that's kind of like you know I I did study I did research and, and the, the the symphony went through many many different versions writing and rewriting and throwing things out and you know, um, you know how painful you you know. Sergio is a composer. Sometimes you know you got to cut something, and it's painful. You know, yeah. yeah. But you, Brahms, Brahms said
0: so. He said, you know, that's the hardest thing one has to
1: do. Once you put a
0: note down, to remove it,
1: yeah,
0: and you can tell in his music because he didn't like
1: to remove a lot of stuff, so it's pretty dense. But uh, you know, it, I I understand. And even right up until the premiere, we had the live, you know, we recorded the piece in Europe in Bratislava. I have a connection to the Bratislava Studio Symphony. That's what you'll be playing. So I flew to Europe um, and we recorded um, the first two movements before the pandemic. And then we were going to record the second two movements in May of 2020. And of course, by March of 2020, everything really stopped. It was a two, like a two and a half year delay to get the rest of it recorded. And um, I had a little bit more to finish up with the with the movements, but we just recorded this past July 2022, and then we had the live premiere with Riverside Philharmonic here in Southern California. And even right up into the performance, a few days before the conductor and I were making changes and editing, you know, always uh, last minute uh, edits, so. Yeah, Uh, Beethoven
0: used to drive his, everybody crazy because he would correct things just before the- Yeah, I have
1: have every intention of doing one more round of edits. um, you know just and then and then the piece sits you know then it's time to move on um but uh, yeah there's always fiddling to do because uh you know you want to try to get as close to the mark as possible
0: yeah that's that's right what we're gonna do now is we're gonna hear the first um about seven minutes of the third movement now i observed in your youtube Uh, videos that you had some of the prayers uh could you tell you know in writing when when the music was going right Uh, some of the some of the basic a little bit just a couple of lines here and a couple of lines there can you tell us what what lines accompany this movement
1: uh sure so this third movement and and i i don't know if you'll be able to put a link um, somewhere you yeah. know on your site. But but all the music that you're gonna hear, all the four movements are on our foundation website. It's uh Judaic Sacred Music Foundation.org. Mm-hmm. And um, I created these videos um uh where you hear the music and then the the prayers pop our prompts, they pop up on right. the screen. So it's kind of you know interactive that way. But the third movement is a slow movement, and um and basically, um, uh, what I did is I wanted it to be a double variation. I was thinking about all those wonderful double variations that Beethoven wrote a sym- in his symphonies. And I, I juxtaposed Kol Nidre um, uh, with the Grand Alenu. Um, right. And so I don't know if everybody listening will know exactly these pairs, but I, 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 what you hear is like a little bit of the opening of Kol Nidre, but I don't start kol nidre at the very beginning i start um uh in the middle of kol nidre with a very famous part that's on the words shvikin shvikin you know may all vows be undone and repealed and canceled so i deconstruct you know it doesn't start in the right at the beginning of the kol nidre it's in the middle and then we go into the grand Alenu where the the you know chazan you know, bows down in front of the Ark uh, during the high holidays, and that's you know, it is basically a proclamation. You know, it is the the Hagadol, the, the Grand Elenu is um, you know, a statement that uh, we are to praise Hashem, God, the ruler of all, um, who has made you know us a nation and 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 um, given given us a a, a very special uh, destiny, and so these two very famous melodies kind of go back and forth there's a little bit of my own kind of motives in there but I play around with melody and modulation and counterpoint and texture which is very important uh, to me and the colors of the orchestra there's soloistic passages for horn and flute and harp and you know I I feature a lot of solo instruments I try to make it uh, very intimate and even at the very end of the Piece, All the movements have shofar calls, and at the very end of this slow movement, the oboe does the. These, you know, we think of the shofar as being these loud blasts, right. but often a still quiet voice. Yeah. When and,
0: I when I heard it when I heard it first time, the, I, I was looking at the horns, at the all the trumpets, and then suddenly I looked up and said, "No, that's the oboe that is doing that."
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Where I go to Shul, our rabbi does uh, when he does a shofar he, you know covers himself completely in the in the uh tallest uh-huh. and it's the softest still call it's very moving so um so there's a little bit of that and so basically these two melodies is you know a b a b a b kind of loosely quasi you know uh, double variation but that's we keep coming back to these melodies over and over again
0: all right so now we're gonna hear the first seven minutes of uh of the third movement Of the Symphony Judaica, right? Yes. Okay. Okay. I cut a little bit after because it was very beautiful. Oh, thank you so much. It was, you know, it, it's kind of a rondo thing. You go back to one, from one theme to the other. It's like an A, as you said it, A, B, A, B, A, B. You go back yes. and forth. Yeah. And what attracted me most of this movement was the counterpoint. The, the, the two or three things going on at the same time that you can tell they're going on at the same time and they, go, they don't get submerged one in the other, which is
1: a trick with yeah. orchestra, you know? Thank you. Thank you for, for, um, for saying that. I mean, I, I, I am counterpoint obsessed uh, often to yeah. my, you know, it, it works against me because, you know, I'm always trying to clarify my orchestration and my ideas and simplify but I always felt like I need, I need a lot of texture. I know when I'm, when I'm listening to music, the things that I'm attracted to most are pieces with a lot of texture. So, you know, I listen to the great, you know, masters of classical music and, you know, there it's, 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 uh, that's my great inspiration, but trying to do that in your own work and have text, but also maintain a, a sense of foreground and background and clarity is really, really difficult. I struggled. I, you know, just listening to it right now, it just I, it's hard for me not to remember sitting at the at the piano and sweating it out at the keyboard and orchestrating. I still am very old fashioned. I write with pencil and paper. I do all my orchestration with pencil and paper, and then only later do I do I do software and you know uh, computer entry and stuff like that. So it's all very much in my head, and and um, hoping that the balance will work out. And you know, um, it did. I mean. The balance really is admir- admirable.
0: I, I think that, um, and also the solos bring very nice contrast to oh, the denser things. You know, suddenly you are with a few instruments, suddenly you are with a lot of instruments. You know, and it, it is very tastefully done. Oh, thank you, it, thank you. Very in my that. opinion, I I don't know any other opinions, but that that's why I wanted to show this this piece this this particular movement because it it had the most uh uh enjoyable counterpoint the more you know it was dense and yet you could follow the different melodies and stuff I find that uh, one of the big difference between classical music and pop music is the depth you know you you take a piece you take a Mahler piece you take a Beethoven piece and then Suddenly you are hearing it for the fiftieth time and then you hear that oboe that you hadn't heard, and you hear that other line that you hadn't heard. Yeah. And and it's a constant process of discovery. And if you if you don't if you don't give that to the person that is listening, you know, it's you know, you you're getting into pop orchestration, you know, as opposed to
1: classical music, uh, you know, composing, which is yeah. a different thing. I- I, I agree with that, with that statement. I, I, one of my professors who had a big impact on me uh, once said, um, you know, classical music means development <laughs> and, right. you know, composers of classical music, you know, we want a lot, you know, t- time, how do I say like time is our real estate and we want a lot of real estate. We want, we, we need, we need time. <laughs> to develop. And yeah. that's how kind of think of it. You know, we, 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 that's kind of the world that you're into. And I, I'm certainly um, I enjoy all all different kinds of music, but I, I love that about classical music is that the, the sense of development and layers and layers and layers of, of musical meaning and texture, and so you can listen, yeah, to whether it's a Beethoven piano sonata or a symphony, and over and over again, and you're constantly discovering new things, you know, about it, and and you can interpret it in different ways, different recordings bring out different ideas, and um, you know, it's endless to me.
0: Yeah, it's a wealth of material. Yeah. Now, the fourth movement is different. It has a, a more rhythmic. Uh, it, I found it more propelling. <laughs> a, the rhythm has a different
1: role in this, right? Yes. Uh, the fourth fourth movement was a little tricky, and um, basically, in the, in the in the first three movements, I'm dealing with a lot of. Jewish prayers, um, you know, the Baruch the Zochreinu, um, the, you know, uh, 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 Mecha. Um, Amecha, you know, a lot of the movements deal with a lot of the central melodies and prayers, at least in the Ashkenazic tradition. Um, and I knew that I would save Avinu Malkenu, which is centerpiece for the Jewish uh, High Holy Days, um, for the last movement. And what was interesting is, my original sketch, I was going to just use the uh, w- what we consider the traditional Avina uh, Malkenu, uh, you know, melody. Um, but uh, I was also very. There's so many melodies I wanted to put in the symphony that that, that that didn't make the didn't end up making it in. There's okay. enough multiple symphonies, but um, I had Avina Malkenu and a lot of other melodies. But then um, I was also very attracted to this uh, Hasidic melody that i didn't grow up with but uh, where where i've been going to shul um got to know in the past you know 10 10 12 years maybe 10 years and i really like that melody and so i decided to juxtapose this traditional with a vena arcana with this hasidic melody and people kept asking I me what
0: recognize, it, which I, you know i i knew there was another one there that i didn't recognize but now i understand
1: in the Orthodox community, many people they know they know that melody immediately, right. and the and then people were asking about the Max the famous uh, melody by uh, Max Janowski that uh, uh, Barbara Streisand made very famous in a, in a recording, uh, you know, back a couple decades, maybe in the nineties. Um, uh, uh, very very famous melody that's been recorded a lot, and I, I wanted to stay clear of the Max Janowski, um, but then I thought what if i juxtapose these three um you know avenamuke traditional hasidic and reform and i'm like yeah it's a nice concept but 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 how do you develop three different melodies the hasidic melody comes with a nigun which is a wordless melody da 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 and so I decided that nigun would be the tour guide. It would be the connective tissue throughout the whole piece. There's also a little bit of the chazikatish, and there's shofar blasts in the second half. But it was really, really tricky. I'm not quite sure if I pulled it off, you know, quite the way I wanted to. But the idea was to have these three avinimol kind of juxtapose with this nigun kind of connecting them, and a lot of shofar fanfares.
0: Okay. Now, Avinu Malkeinu for our non-Jewish speakers means our God, our
1: King. Um, for our non-Hebrew speakers, and um, yeah, and our Father, our Father, our King. Our Father, our King. Trouble with the with the language of it, but that's how it translates. Yeah, right. And uh, yeah, it's uh,
0: you know a very fast translation. Just, do you have the a, a couple of the basic lines in English somewhere around there?
1: Sure. So in this prayer, we're basically asking God, you know, our father, our king, uh, be gracious to us and answer us, you know, that we, we, we don't really have uh, merit or deeds, um, but we're asking God to deal with us uh, with charity and kindness and deliver us to um a, a new year so it's recited you know right up until the very end of the high holy days right at the very end where we imagine the the gates of the year are closing and we're still pleading to god you know be gracious to us it's seal us in the book of life for the next year with goodness and kindness as health and peace um, for us and for 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 our for our loved ones and so it's a real it's a real plea and it has such it's such a a, a tremendous melody i mean all of them are um and um and so that's kind of this this sense of of you know urgency um with it um
0: okay. all right let's i i want to just show you know the whole symphony's worth of you know sh- being shown in the program but i i chose the first four minutes of the second of the fourth movement let me let me put it Sure. Let me, let me uh, turn it on, and then we'll we'll uh, talk a little bit more about it. Okay? Absolutely. Okay. Something else, somewhere else, but uh yeah, there is a lot of drama in that, and and you can see the juxtaposition of the melodies.
1: I think it works very
0: well. I
1: ah, well, thank you, uh, thank you very much. And if if uh, if your listeners want to, you know, if they explore on our website the whole movement and eventually we'll get into the Max Janowski, and then about halfway through, then the traditional Avena Volcano comes in. Um, with all the chauffeur blasts kind of juxtaposed that way and um, yeah I really struggled with this movement because you know I wanted the last movement to be big and exciting and you know the concept of having it focused on a Avena volcano is one thing but three different melodies if it's hard to to connect them make them work together so you know, it was it was a struggle, but uh, overall I'm I'm happy with it. It's still going under, you know, some trimming and some editing and reorchestration, um, things that I wanna, you know, fix a little bit. But uh but overall I'm I'm pleased with how it came out. And and when we did the live performance, the uh conductor convinced me to take it quite a bit <laughs> quite a bit faster. And it was even much, much faster even than this. And uh it was like a roller coaster. You're not quite used to hearing these melodies uh in that kind of, you know, setting for that fast, but it was, it was fun. It got a, a really terrific response from the audience. So.
0: Yeah. The, the, there's a rhythmic element that wasn't the, the, that wasn't in the previous movement. There is this uh, kind of, you know, the triplets and the, you know, that, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. I tried to make each movement have, you know, a, a distinct mood and characteristics and 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 there's i think the last movement has a little bit more of my own kind of personal music that i i felt i wanted to have some commentary so not even though it's saturated with you know uh melodies um and modus from the high holy days i have some of my own ideas uh in there as well um more than the other movements
0: well that's great i want to thank you very much for coming and sharing this uh this material with us i I think definitely I'm I'm gonna post all the links in the, you know, with the podcast when it so that people when they go to the to click on the let's talk about music, they can they can explore the whole symphony which is worth exploring, and um, worth anybody's time. And um, want to thank you very much. Is there anything you'd like to say before we we? say goodbye for this podcast.
1: I certainly would like to thank you, Sergio, for having me as a guest on your, on your podcast. It's been a, a pleasure speaking with you, getting to know you. We've we've only uh, you know met in, in just a uh, recent few weeks, and I'm always amazed that as small of a community Jewish composers are, there's still... Mm-hmm out there that I have not met, even here in Los Angeles. And um, it's a real pleasure. And I, I uh, have no doubt that we will remain in touch and our paths will continue to cross. It's really wonderful what you're doing with these uh, podcasts and, and sharing about music and, and, and Jewish music. Um, I really appreciate it. It's been a real pleasure uh, visiting and speaking with you.
0: Thank you very much. I just want to make a note that I forgot to tell. I just did a piece for the Healthman Institute Uh, for new jewish music that had two melodies going back to back together and it's complicated (laughs) and when you put three yes it's more complicated anyway thank you so much for being us thank you for sharing your
1: your work with us and that's all folks